Once again, happy Easter to you. I'm so excited to be here with you today as we're beginning this new series, Can I Ask That? Uh, because we know that we, have, we all have questions that we wonder about when it relates to God, when it relates to faith, and sometimes we don't have a place to ask them. We want this church and we want the church to be a place where you can ask your questions, even the tough ones. And so what we've done over the next six weeks is we've, uh, really for the next five weeks, it's a six-week series, I'll explain. Uh, over the next five weeks, we've chosen topics based on questions that we get quite often from people um, who, like yourself, who are, who are asking them. And uh, the way this will work is, we've already described this in short, is um, we'll teach a shorter amount than usual. No applause on that, okay? Um, and then the rest of that time for the message slot, we will use to actually answer your questions live on our topic of, for the day. Now, maybe you have a question that is off topic. That's where week, week six comes in, week six. Um, during week six, that's a wild card week. So uh, as you text in your questions that might be off topic that we don't get to, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking for either the most asked question or the most provocative question, and that will become our topic for week six. So you get to determine that. So um, the bottom line of this is at any point during the the message now, uh, you can take your phone, text 636-686-0140. You can text your question about life after death. Is life after death just uh, just wishful thinking? Why aren't you texting yet? See, because I know you have questions, don't you? Especially on this, on this question, on this topic. There's a lot of questions we have, a lot of curiosity that we have about life after death. Maybe even some, some, uh, you know, some uncomfortable feelings about life after death. But, but I know you have questions. I know you wonder about it. The reason I know is because there was this book that was written called Heaven is for Real. It's a, it's a book about a kid who supposedly went to heaven, came back, and is now telling the world about it. And, and the reason I know you have questions about life after death is because this book has sold 10 million copies it's a lot of a lot of books, right? And then they moved this, uh, turned this movie, uh, turned this book rather into a movie. They made it into a movie, and that movie grossed one hundred million dollars in box offices. Why? Because you've got questions. You're concerned. You're you're curious about what might happen to us after we die, aren't you? And that's okay. I mean, that's a good thing. I'm curious about that too. I've been curious about it ever since I was young. I, in fact, I remember a story when I was young. Um, my, uh, my great aunt Jewel was dying of cancer. She was relatively young and in my family, people have babies young. And so she was relatively young, even though she was my great aunt and she was dying of cancer. Um, it had just been ravaged by the disease. Um, she was in the hospital under a lot of pain medication. She was near the end of her life. And so she was in and out of consciousness. And so a number of family members were there, you know, keeping vigil at her bedside, uh, waiting for her uh, to go. And, um, and while she was there and, and people were gathered around her in the room, Suddenly, she, she, uh, she started speaking out loud, and she hadn't done that much. And uh, out loud, she said, it's Jesus. He's coming. And of course, the room got really quiet, and everyone leaned in and listened hard to what might happen next. And, and, and what she said next was just incredible. She said, he's so beautiful. And then she died a moment later. Gosh, I remember hearing that story from my relatives who were there around her bed and just, you know, the hair on my back of my neck standing up thinking, wow, that's crazy. 
Uh, Steve Hauer was telling me a story that happened years ago. He was on a hospital visitation, same sort of situation. A woman was there, despondent, you know, totally uh, not comatose, but, but unconscious. And, um, and all of a sudden, there with family, all of a sudden he heard this. Uh, she, she, uh, she said out loud, the music, oh, the music. And then a moment later, she died. Doesn't that make you wonder? I mean, some of you have stories like that. You've heard stories. You've experienced things like that in your life. I've heard lots of stories like that. Don't those stories make you wonder what is waiting for us after this life is over? And I'll just be honest with you today. Not only do I wonder about life after death, I wonder about something else. See, because all world religions, they talk in some way, nearly all of them talk in some way about life after death. And and you know what? That makes me wonder. Is that a sign that life after death is a reality? Does God just create us with a sense that we are made for eternity? Is that why every world religion talks about it? You know, they may not get the details right, but at least they have have a concept of that. Is that the reason why? Or, and I wonder, and this is a little darker, but this is a place where we can be honest with our questions, right? Um, I wonder, is the fact that almost everyone in the world has some sort of concept of life after death, is that just a sign that this is all wishful thinking? You know, is, is the idea of death so frightening? The idea that someday when this life is over, we just run into a brick wall of nothingness, of darkness, Is that just so frightening to us that we have made up these stories, we have concocted these stories of life after death so that we don't have to be so afraid? Does anyone else ever wonder that? I know I have. Even my kids who are, you know, pastor's kids being raised in a Christian school, sometimes when I'm tucking them in at night, they've asked me these questions. Dad, how do we know? How do we know there's really something waiting for us? Right? It's it's a natural question. It's It's a responsible question to ask. And even though I have asked this question and wrestled with it in my life, I'll tell you this. I I come back again and again to the belief that, yes, there is life after death. I'm certain of it. And it's not just because I'm wishful thinking. It's not because I I feel afraid of death. I actually don't feel very afraid of death at this point in my life. Um, It's not because some kid with a ruptured appendix supposedly went to heaven and told me about it. It's not because of the way my Aunt Jewel died. It's not even because, exactly because of what the Bible says, although that does help me. The reason I believe that there is life after death, the reason I'm certain of it, is because I believe that Jesus rose again. Now, some of you uh, people who are a little more traditionally minded, you've been sitting here wondering, why on earth are we here on Easter and this guy's up there talking about life after death? If that's you, if you've been wondering about that this morning, do I just need to repeat that question back to you? Right? I mean, this is Easter and Easter has everything to do, not not with bunnies and candy and lilies, it has everything to do with life after death. See, for Christians, this is where Christians are different than other people in the world, for Christians, Life after death isn't just some hope. It's not some pie-in-the-sky thing. It's not some philosophy. But for Christians, life after death is a reality. It is a verifiable fact. It is backed up by witnesses who gave eyewitness testimony who went on record. It's backed up by secular historians. It's backed up by evidence, hard evidence, of an empty tomb. You see, I was taught growing up that the most important day in all of history 
was when Jesus died on the cross. And that's almost true. But the truth is that many people have died for their faith over the years. And some have even died for their faith on crosses. The most important day in the world is not the day that, that Jesus, uh, the most important day in the world is not the day that Jesus died on a cross. It's the day that Jesus was raised to life after death. And you see, for, for us, we believe that he's the only one who ever has done that. Sure, even Jesus himself raised other people, but they were raised to die again. We believe that Jesus is the only person who has ever been raised from, light, from uh, death to life after death, never to die again. And so, you see, if you want to ever deliver a knockout punch to Christianity, if, if you just want to shut Christians up, then all you have to do, and this is true all throughout time, all you would have to do is to disprove the resurrection. All you would have to do is to produce a dead body. And, and if you do, we're done. We're out of business. This doesn't make any sense. Because what's powerful is not that Jesus died, it's that he was raised again to life after death. See, this is where we put our hope. Now, I know there are some of you who are conspiracy theorists out there, and, uh, and, and you wonder, well, hey, okay, couldn't it be that, that the reason we can't find Jesus' body is because the disciples, like, took his body and hid his body? You know, you're the same people who are like, oh, yeah, 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 the, the moon landing that we saw up there a minute ago, and, uh, and the death of Princess Di, we know better, don't we? Right, if you're conspiracy-minded, hey, again, that's, that's reasonable, but let me ask you, let me ask you, if, uh, if you were one of the disciples and the Roman authorities and the Jewish leaders began rounding you up and you had just made up this hoax, this story, and they began rounding you up and, and they put you in jail and they started beating you and they even threatened you with death, they started killing off your friends all because you were saying that Jesus rose from the dead, how long would you keep up that hoax? Probably not very long, Right? Where I've been thinking more about the disciples as a whole, because I think they're critical to, to our understanding of, of the fact that Jesus really did rise again. You know, the disciples, they had no idea that Jesus was going to die on the cross. And what blows my mind is they had no idea, and Jesus told them plainly. He explained it to them, and they just weren't listening. They didn't believe it. They didn't get it. See, what the disciples believed was that Jesus was going to be the Messiah, well, isn't that what we believe too? Yeah, but, but the way the disciples understood that is, is that Jesus would be the Messiah, which means that he would be the anointed one. He would be the king like King David. They believed that Jesus would be an earthly king and he would establish his throne and Israel would become the most powerful nation in the whole world and, and Jesus would maybe sit on the throne forever. Maybe he would live forever or maybe he would have descendants who would sit on the throne and they would reign after him for, uh, forever. Either way, either way, the disciples believed that Jesus was coming to be an earthly king, which means that more than likely, the disciples believed when they started following Jesus that they, have, they had found the deal of a lifetime. See, see, one time, in fact, Jesus was teaching about the rich. And he was talking about wealthy people, and he said, you know, for wealthy people, it's really hard for them to take hold of the things of God because they're so busy holding on to their wealth, which actually makes sense to me. If you work really hard for something, it's hard to let go of it, isn't it? And Jesus said this, and he said, you know, it, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven to let go of their wealth, to take hold of something better. And the disciples, they, they kind of stopped him, and one disciple in particular said, hey, Jesus, you're preaching to the choir here because here we are. We have left everything to follow you. And I want to show you what Jesus said to them. This must have been so uh, confusing for them. He said, truly I tell you, 
No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and in the age to come eternal life. Of course, Jesus was talking about some things they would receive that were deeper than that. But again, just imagine their mindset. This is confirming everything they believe about Jesus. That, 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 you know, the reason, if you want to know why the disciples left their homes and their wives and their kids and their jobs and their businesses, if you want to know why they did that, guess what? It wasn't a midlife crisis. That wasn't the reason. The reason they did that is because they believed they were making a wise investment for their future. They were following along the man who was going to be the future king of Israel. The man who said, hey, if you leave that stuff behind, I'll give you a hundred times as much. They totally misunderstood Jesus' message. Now, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine that you've got this mindset, you know, you've got this mindset of the disciples. I want you to imagine for a minute how the disciples must have felt on that Thursday when they watched Jesus be arrested and taken into custody and go before Caiaphas, the high priest, and before Herod, the king, and before Pilate, the governor. I want you to imagine how they felt when, when they watched Jesus be crucified as they watched him die on the cross. Within having in mind now all the things they must have believed about Jesus, how do you think they felt on Good Friday? Go ahead and shout it out. How do you think they felt? Confused. Yeah, I mean, this is their rabbi, right? What's going on? Someone said alone. Disappointed. Sad. Maybe, you know, they lost this friend. They loved him. They lost a friend. What about, what about, what about angry out of their minds? What about betrayed? What about feeling like they had been duped? Again, this is a guy they had left everything for. They had followed, followed him around for three years thinking this was, this was the sleeper stock of a lifetime. They were getting on the ground floor of Jesus, the future king of Israel and the whole world. Man, this was a wise investment. And here they are on Good Friday and Jesus dies on the cross before them, leaving them empty-handed. Can you imagine how angry they must have been? How hurt, how betrayed? I mean, you don't know anger like that. Maybe you do. A few of us do, I think. Now, now correct me if I'm wrong. The last thing on earth then that you would do to someone who, who cheated you, who tricked you, who duped you in that way, the last thing on earth that you would do is go and make up some story about what a great guy he really was. How this guy who scammed you was in fact a hero, Right? I mean, tell me, isn't that the last thing on earth you would do? And if you're not sure, just, just find me the person out there today who's out there saying, Bernie Madoff, he took all my money, but he's a great guy. He really helped me. Where is that person? <laughs> or where's the person who's saying, Ken Lay, you know, I had all my stock, all my pension tied up in Enron stock, but Ken Lay, he is a good man. He's a righteous man. In fact, Ken Lay loves you. Where is that person? They don't exist. I mean, so, so why would the disciples make up a story about Jesus, this man who scammed them, unless, unless Jesus did in fact rise from the dead and they saw it, they witnessed it, and suddenly they got what he was talking about. See, if Jesus really did rise again, that changes everything. And I think just the disciples and their testimony shows us that they saw him alive. Not only does Jesus' resurrection validate his ministry, 
It gives credibility to his claim that he is truly the son of God, the Messiah. Not only that, but Jesus' resurrection also gives us certainty about this very confusing mystical idea of life after death. I want to show you now the words that Paul wrote. Now, Paul was the guy who was a skeptic. He was, in fact, an enemy of the Christian faith. He was crusading against those who were preaching that Jesus had been rose. He thought it was a lie. He thought it was untrue. It made him angry. He was arresting them. Uh, And then along the way, he became convinced that it was true. And he became the spokesperson for the Christian faith. Uh, Paul wrote in a letter, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, starting at verse 12, he wrote these words about the resurrection. He says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, which is what we're preaching here today, right? It's Easter. That's what we're preaching. If it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? How can some of you then say that there's no life after death? He goes on. He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then you can't even say that Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Then he just ponders for a minute and he goes, if, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, man, that, this is really tragic. He says, if only, this, if only for this life we have hope in Christ. And, and, you know, for me, the hope that I have in Christ brings a lot into this life. But Paul says, if that's all you have, we are of all people most to be pitied if it all ends here. But he turns the corner and he says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Do you know what that word means, first fruits? You know, think about an apple tree in your yard and and the first apple that you see in the season. Or some of you, you plant vegetable gardens and, 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 you know, the first tomato plant that you see. What is that? That is a sign. That's the first fruits. That's a sign that all of the planting, all of the watering, all the fertilizing, all of the weeding, all of the, you know, protecting from insects and vermin and deer, and that it's worked and you're going to have a harvest. The first fruits is a sign that there is more to come. I love what Paul says, that, that Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first, first fruits of all of the rest of us who have died, who have fallen asleep. That means there's more to come. And, and then he uh, continues in this way. He says, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. See, Paul says that that God loved Jesus so much that he would not let him stay dead, but he raised him to life after death. But Paul says, this is not an isolated incident. Jesus is the first fruits of the dead. So all of us who are in Christ, all of us who have been baptized into him, who hope in him, who trust in him, we also will be made alive in the same way. And before I take your questions, here's how I'd like to bring this all together. See, for us here today, the resurrection of Jesus is not only our ticket to life after death, and we talk about it that way sometimes, but it is our proof that life after death exists. See, if you wonder about life after death, if you wonder if it's true, I just ask you to go back to this, to this, this historically attested event, the empty tomb. And for thousands of years, the enemies of Jesus, and, and especially back in his day, he had way more enemies than friends. They sought to discredit him and they couldn't. People still today seek to discredit this resurrection, and they can't. 
See, the reason that we believe as Christians in life after death is not wishful thinking. It's because we believe it's happened already. We've seen it in the person of Jesus Christ. And he is the first fruits. He is showing us what is waiting for all of the rest of us, which is, which is not just coming back to life to die again, but it is coming back from the dead, living forever, never to die again. He's not only our ticket to that, but he's our proof. So uh, right now, I want to I take your questions because um, I think you might have some questions about this. Like, what does it look like? You know, if we're going to talk about life after death, maybe we should spend more time studying what Jesus did after his resurrection and what he looked like and what existence was like for him rather than all the other books. And I'll just leave it there. But right now you can text your question 636-686-0140 and we'll get through as many as we can, which won't be a whole lot, but I'll do my best. All right, let's see if we have a question. Uh, What does the Bible say about cremation? Will they also be raised? Gosh, this is a fascinating question. Um, Cremation for a long time in, in the Christian faith was a no-no. Um, and the reason it was, it was, it was taboo is because um, for some cremation, and, and some, actually this goes way back in church history, cremation was, was almost a testimony that there is no resurrection of the flesh. There's no resurrection of the body. See, let me just clarify one more thing really quickly. When we talk about life after death, there are a couple of phases. Um, in some sense, life after death has already begun for us in our baptism. The Bible says that when we are baptized, we are are buried with Christ in death and we are raised to new life. So life after death has already begun for us. Uh, And then, you know, when when our physical death comes, we know that our spirits go to be with God in heaven. And that's usually where we stop. We're just kind of like, okay, my body's in the ground, my spirit's in heaven, my body doesn't matter. That was just, you know, I was stuck in that body and now I'm really free. But, but Christians don't stop there. That's not where our hope is. Our hope is ultimately what we see happen to Jesus. We, we see a resurrected body in our future. So when Jesus comes again on his second coming, then will come the resurrection of all the flesh. That's what we profess in our creed, that we will be raised again in the flesh and that our spirits, which are, which God, or which are with God, rather, will be united with our bodies. And, and the Bible says that, that even this earth, this broken earth, this earth that's falling apart, will be remade. There will be a new heaven and a new earth and our existence will be restored to kind of like the Garden of Eden at the beginning. We will be physical and spiritual together. We will be whole. This whole creation will be whole. So those back um, who, who, uh, you know, in some religions do this, they cremate almost as a testimony to the fact that the physical world doesn't matter. And we as Christians don't believe that. We believe it matters incredibly. We take great care, you know, back in our cemetery, we started a a vigil there this morning as we began our Easter services. Um, We take great care to commend people's bodies into the ground because they matter and we believe Jesus will raise them again from the dead. Now, um, so so cremation can be used as like a, a testimony of the body doesn't matter. And if it is, you shouldn't be cremated. You shouldn't do it to make a stand against the resurrection of the flesh. Um, but I will say that, that if you're cremated, that's not going to stop God from raising you, right? Because the resurrection of, of God, of our bodies from the dead is, is something God will do by his miraculous power. So whether you're in a, uh, a casket and you are dust, or whether you have been put in a uh, funeral pyre or something in a crematory and you've become dust, God will take those remains and he will, he will, we believe this, give you a glorified body and your body will um, also be raised, you reunited with your spirit forever. See, that's our hope. Eternity is not us in heaven with our bodies in the ground and this earth going on 
uh, life going on here in a broken way. Our hope is Jesus comes back and he finally makes things right on this earth again. So great question. The other ones will be quicker. Um, It is hard to fathom everlasting life. What's the best way for parents to explain this? I would say what's the best way for even pastors to explain this? I don't know. Um, You know, again, I I think... um, Understanding that everlasting life for us really begins not when we die and go to heaven, but it begins at the resurrection of the flesh. Um, that changes things for us because that means that our existence forever isn't a disembodied existence. We're not just sitting in heaven around the throne. Um, our everlasting state will be a physical state, a spiritual state. Again, it, it'll be like the paradise of Garden of Eden. And again, it'll look different than, than even what my mind thinks that will mean, um, but we'll be in this restored creation. And so um, everlasting life will be a full life. There, there, I think you'll be able to do things. Uh, you'll be able to use your body. You'll be able to taste foods. You'll be able to have adventures. Uh, it really is a restored creation with God at the center of it. Um, and so I think, I think um, that's, that's one way to explain it, is that it's not just you know, being in heaven singing all day. I mean, that sounds awful, doesn't it? I love to sing, but I mean, if that's, if that's everlasting life, um, so, you know, it's, it's bigger than that. Um, we're in the presence of God. All bad things are taken away, but ultimately the, the hope is that we get to be a part of a restored creation. Um, and then the other thing I would say is that this whole creation of time is something that God established in the beginning. And I don't know that time will work the same way in eternity, that in everlasting life, in a new heaven, in a new earth, I don't know that we're counting days in the same way. I think it might be different, but I don't know that for sure. Great question. Do pets go to heaven? <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> I love that. Um, whoever asked this question might know how I actually feel about our puppy that we have at home. Uh, who woke me up at 4.40 this morning? Um, so uh, do pets go to heaven? Uh, again, you know, I, I, I would draw a distinction. I, so my initial answer is I believe no, but hold on. Uh, I draw draw a distinction between what heaven is and the way we refer to heaven is the place where our spirits go to be with God and our bodies are committed into the ground, okay? Um, And to my knowledge, pets don't have souls. They don't get to go to heaven. But, but, what is our ultimate hope? It's not heaven where our body and spirits are separate. It is Jesus coming back. It is a resurrected body. It is a new heaven and a new earth, which did consist of animals. So I don't know if, uh, if, I, I believe animals will be in our eternal state, you know, in that new heaven and new earth, I, I honestly don't know. And the Bible does not say whether my animals will be there or if I just get to enjoy animals. I can tell you this, I promise you, no matter how much of a pet lover you are, you won't miss them. You won't miss yours if they're not there. It will be full. It will be abundant. Um, so do you get the difference, heaven and, and uh, what the resurrected existence is? We, we're pretty sure that there will be all forms of creation in, um, in, our, in our final resurrected state. Okay, another question. How can I feel assured someone who hasn't been baptized will go to heaven? Gosh, that's a really, that's a really tough question. And not just tough for me to answer, but I mean, like I, I, feel, I feel the angst in that question um, because none of us want to see people that we love or care about. None of us want to see their life either just you know, end in, in darkness, and none of us certainly want to see them be judged uh, at the resurrection. Um, and so for us, uh, let me just say a couple things about this. Baptism is our assurance. Baptism is our assurance that, that we, are, we are now with Christ, that, that uh, his grace covers us, that we belong to him, that all of the things that God says about Jesus, he now says about us 
even if they don't feel true, even though we're still sinful, that uh, we are children of God, God loves us, he's pleased with us, that we have a future with him. Baptism is our assurance. The Bible does teach, though, that the way we're saved is through faith. And faith drives us to baptism to receive this great gift and assurance, but we also do believe that God can save people through faith, even if they're not baptized. And so there may be a lot of reasons that someone's not baptized who still has faith, but we believe that, that faith in who Jesus is, faith in God's grace through Christ, is, is what's required for us to um, not only go to heaven, but also to be declared righteous and to come into the new heaven and the new earth when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead. So that's the best I can do with that question. Uh, one more, I think. If we have one more question. What does the Lord say about the afterlife of a suicide victim? Gosh, you guys are really getting into it today. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm thankful for this question. I'm thankful for this question because for a lot of years in the church, um, I think almost as a, as a means of intimidation, of discouraging people not to do it, suicide was described as the unfor- unforgivable sin. Um, and so what I would say about this is the Lord says the same thing about a suicide victim that they would say about the victim of anything else, right? The criteria is not how you died. The criteria is, do you know Jesus? Do you have faith? Uh, do you trust in God's grace? And I, I've personally known people who have committed suicide who were deep, fervent believers. And life just got so overwhelming or, you know, whatever was going on in their minds just got so overwhelming that they, they didn't feel like they could do it anymore. That does not disqualify you from the love of God. So, uh, you know, this question, you answer it by saying, what does the Lord say about the afterlife of anyone who dies? It's, it's the same criteria. It doesn't matter how you die. Suicide does not disqualify you from the love of God. I'm sure it's, it's, it's a tragedy, um, and it's, it's sad to watch someone take their life, uh, but, but God's grace covers even that, right? It covers all things. I think that's all. One more question? Is there a quick one, or is that it? Okay, I think it's all we have uh, time for. Um, man, that was heavy, but thanks for asking those questions. I know I did, probably didn't get to all your questions. A lot of you are texting in, uh, I'm sure, um, but we hope you come back and, and you keep um, wrestling with some of these things, even this topic. Maybe you need to discuss it as a family later today. Um, and of course, uh, even though Steve Hauer and I are, are really busy, we're kind of short stuff as pastors, we want to help answer your questions too. And so there's an opportunity for you to set up a meeting if, if you have something you're really wondering about that didn't get answered today. Let me say this um, as I conclude. On Easter, we, we say this phrase back and forth, and we've said it a few times already. The leader, the leader says, he is risen, and you say... Yeah, and like five of you say hallelujah and feel awkward about that. Um, uh, yeah, I hope when you say that or when you see those words on Facebook or on Instagram today, I hope you remember what that means. That means not only has Jesus risen from the dead, he's risen indeed. Not, not only is that true, but, but that's a promise for you that someday you will be too. And I tell you, as, as I read the news and, you know, you think about what happened in Brussels and you think um, about Boko Haram and you think about girls being abducted and you just think about the stuff that goes on in this very, very, very broken world. To me, that statement, Christ is risen, he's risen indeed, hallelujah, that is a promise to me that God is not going to let this go on forever. Someday, he's not just going to take me out of it. Someday, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to make it all right. He's going to make it whole. He's going to do away with all evil and we will exist together in relationship and wholeness. Our bodies will be whole again. Our creation, our environment will be whole again. 
and we will be in a whole relationship with God. See, what I hope for you today on Easter is that you're not here just to celebrate a historical event. I hope today that you're here to celebrate what's waiting for you in the future because this truth that Jesus Christ is the first fruits from the dead and that we get to look forward to that same destiny if we trust in him, that should change just not the way we approach death, but ultimately should change how we approach life. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you've given Jesus for us to die for our sins, but but to be raised again to new life. It's our promise, Father, that that the broken world we live in, it, it won't go on forever. And we thank you for that. Today, I pray that you would increase our faith, push aside our doubts. If maybe we're investigating this I'm newly or or we're not convinced of the resurrection of Jesus. Give us the courage to look into these things objectively to see that there's a lot of evidence behind this, that this is not just a pipe dream. This This is history. This is attested to. And through this very historical thing, God, there's this great promise for us of hope, of reconciliation, of restoration. Father, give us confidence as we face hard days, dark days, that that you govern over all of this. In the end, you win, that you are good, that you love us, and you will not let our bodies see decay, you will not let this world see decay, but you will restore it. We look forward to that with confidence. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.